0: Uh, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Acts 5 today. We're going to begin reading in verse 29 and then skip down to verse 40. Um, this is a message that um, has been in the works and been in my heart for about six years now. Um, God led me to this passage and this verse and this idea, this topic. Uh, about six years ago, I was on campus um, taking a class, and this uh, this this inspiration came to me. And I, This may seem like a greatest hits message. You'll hear some things we talked about before, uh, but I feel like um, it's appropriate. Um, for. Obviously, this text speaks to it, and it's appropriate for this season. Um, but my prayer is that God would speak to us with a clear and compelling voice on this day um, you know for americans this weekend um, is all about honoring and remembering those who gave their lives um, fighting for defending our country our freedom and our liberties we think of those who fought against the tyranny and oppression um, in the war of revolution in the war of 1812 uh, we think of those who fought to hold the union together those who journeyed both east east and west in the last 100 years um, to protect not only our country but also the world to help bring peace and justice to not just Americans, but to all the people of the earth. You know, from Eastern Europe to the Pacific front, uh, from the Middle East to Northern Africa, hundreds of thousands of men and women have given their lives for America. And beyond that, for what America stands for, for what America represents, it has long been an American conviction uh, to believe that what is standard here, what is normal here, should be normal everywhere, should be the standard everywhere. But that isn't the case, is it? You see, from the very beginning, our country has been founded on a very specific idea. Many are quick to assume that that idea is freedom, and yes, that is core to who we are, but it's actually a byproduct of who we are and the actual backbone in the heart of America. The true American spirit that drove us into World War II and afterwards kept us involved in foreign affairs because the American spirit is one of obligation, one of responsibility. The reason we have freedom, the reason we advocate for freedom for all people is because at the heart and within the spirit of our country. Our pathology has always been this idea of value, that the individual, that all individuals are endowed from their creator with certain unalienable rights. But we often rush, rush past what that truly means, that everyone is valuable to God. Every life is sacred, that every creature created by God for his glory and has a life that has a precious meaning and purpose. Yes, we are free, but more than that, we are bound to one another, responsible even to advocate and defend and die for if duty calls. The late and great John McCain articulated the true essence of America in a speech that he gave three years ago before his health began to decline. All that our country had more like him, full of dignity and grace, who always extended it even when it would have been easier to take a lower And dirtier road. Listen to how McCain captured the spirit and duty of America, one true to its original vision, but also that's aware that while we may be free, it's still an aberration in light of the rest of the world's condition that we cannot ignore. McCain said, From the ashes of the most awful calamity in human history was born what we call the West a new and different and better kind of world order, one based not on blood or soil or nationalism or spheres of influence or conquest of the weak by the strong, but rather on universal values, rule of law, open commerce, and respect for the national sovereignty and independence. Indeed, the entire idea of the West is that it is open to any person or any nation that honors and upholds these values he spoke of how America has an obligation to be a beacon of hope because the value we ascribe to people should be extended to all people. Of course, this idea of human life having value is not, as, not only as old as America, it's older than that. The founding fathers of this country set out to build a democracy, a country under God's sovereignty, governed by God's law, His authority, for the good of all people, because they were familiar with the Scriptures, inspired even by the Scriptures. All throughout the Scriptures, we hear from God that, above all, human life is sacred and valuable. And we read about the extent that, they, that God went to to bring salvation to the world, because life was meant to be eternal, yet sin clearly changed that plan. The Bible tells us a story um, about how God, through Jesus and his church, set out to bring salvation to the whole world. And that is why we open up to Acts and find a far different church than we may be familiar with in the year 2020, than we may have ever come into contact with. We left off in Acts 5 where the disciples are on trial. Sorry, my iPad is overheating. Um, Excuse me. The disciples are on trial, and they are—they um, have been arrested for preaching the gospel, and they are being uh, questioned for why they continue to defy orders and why they continued to go up against what they had been told to not do ever again. Um, They had been miraculously set free um, by an angel. You would think they would take that angel's um, uh, gift to be an opportunity to go home and be safe, but Peter stood on trial and spoke for the others, and the words are so powerful, so humbling, and so convicting. When asked why he was so determined to preach and serve in Jesus' name, he responded in Acts Five twenty-nine. with something that's too rich for me i'm unworthy to proclaim them as if i've ever lived up to these words but he says in acts 5 29 we ought or we must obey god rather than men the rest of the response is even more uh, overwhelming down in verse number 40 the disciples are freed from prison but they are beaten first In verse 40 says they agreed with him And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his or for the name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease to teach and preach in Jesus' name. While they were compelled out of duty, they gave willingly. While they were driven by responsibility, they suffered with joy. Though they may have been drafted into ministry with a different um, idea in mind, they were delighted to be there even in the midst of these excruciating circumstances. The one difference I see in the early church compared to the church today is the motivation there must The one thing we learn by looking through their eyes is how differently they saw the world, how different they understood the world. They really did see the world the way Jesus saw the world. They really were motivated by the same thing that Jesus was. Jesus said, I must go to the cross. I must lay my life down. And Peter says, we must go no matter the cost. What does that mean? What does we must mean? When the world, when their flesh was telling them there was an easier, more convenient, more acceptable way, they couldn't settle for less than God's way. We must means we must put the values of our faith above the values of our flesh. We've seen what their must has already looked like. In Acts 4, they divest themselves of their treasures and invest in the community God was building. They were sold out on the ideas of Christianity. They sold everything they had to realize the dream that God had put in their heart. They didn't need these things anymore because they had a greater treasure. They had a greater faith. They had heaven's fire. They took God's stage with a hands-up posture. In Acts 5, throughout the book, they risked their lives again and again, not for leisure, mind you, but to proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever He called them to go, doing whatever He asked them to do. They gave up. They gave up this word, not just to gain heaven for themselves, but to gain people for God's kingdom. In Acts 6 and 7, Stephen and his fellow deacons are set up to be meal distributors against the will of the city, uh, against the church's charity. And when confronted about it, Stephen gave a defense for his faith that cost him his life. In Acts 8, Saul of Tarsus ramps up a state-sanctioned persecution, and yet the church continues to go and spread the gospel as they go beyond Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. They weren't driven by reckless abandon, but a righteous advocacy. Being compelled to show the world that they mattered to God. That their lives had value because they had just witnessed Jesus demonstrate this very idea. We see over and over again the church being so selfless, so sacrificial, so focused on everyone but themselves because they felt the weight of Jesus' cross. They felt the responsibility of their witness. They felt the weight of their faith. Their knowledge didn't make them feel superior. It made them feel obligated and in debt to those who remained unaware. I got to ask us on this Memorial Day weekend, when we are gathered to count our blessings as Americans and as Christians, is this the culture of the church today? Is this what defines Christianity today? We often cite Acts as the book the church needs to read to get back to its roots, but we hardly ever are driven to those same selfless lifestyles. The message isn't that the Holy Spirit would become our own personal bodyguard or butler, as mainstream religion suggests. In Acts, Christianity is the farthest thing from the means to prosperity, a means to personal gain. In Acts, we find the disciples eschewing and denouncing prosperity and gain, giving up what they had worked for. Not because those things were bad, but because God had given them Jesus Christ and they had something the rest of the world needed and they were willing to do whatever it took to get that good news out. They had found that knowing Jesus was more fulfilling and satisfying that they did whatever it took to enable and further their vision and their mission. They gave and they gave and they gave until they had nothing left and when it was just their flesh and blood left, they gave that too. It's so humbling and it's so inspiring and compelling to us today. They all had Jesus. He was all they had and he was all they needed. I've said this and I'll continue to say this. This is such an important time for the church in America. The rhetoric of secular culture is as toxic and divisive as ever. There's much arrogance, intolerance, spite. We stand across from each other lecturing one another, but to what end? The church must be different and the church can be different. We can signal to our world that the spirit who is in us that rose Jesus from the grave can be in anyone. If we show the world what the early church showed their world. Here we are on Memorial Day weekend and we should be sobered by the sacrifices given by men and women at the, since the dawn of this country. Men and women who throughout history of our nation have surrendered their freedom to a greater cause and to a greater call. Even those drafted adopted an attitude of sacrifice, a badge of honor with the weight of the country on their back. Church, this is the heart of the Christian faith and message. Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay their life down for their friends. That's agape love, sacrificial love, volitional love. The love is our must because it was the apostles before us and it was Jesus's must. Think about what Jesus did for us. To a lesser, even his disciples reflected that same love. Jesus laid his life down for us to give us life. He was God in flesh. He had the liberty to do whatever he wanted. He had all the power in the room, but what did he do with it? He was not defined by his power, but he is defined by what he did and who he did it for and who he used it for. The early church had that same power, and the church still has that same power. And what will define us is not the size or strength. Of our power, but rather what we do with it and who we use it for. John 13 is a text you've heard me preach for years, but only recently has it taken a new light in my heart. John 13.3 says that Jesus knew He was going to the Father. He knew He had been given all things from the Father. He looked around the room and He saw the enemies of God. He saw the people that would betray and deny Him. And yet He took off His outer garment. He wrapped a towel around His waist and He washed the disciples' feet. He served them and then He would go and die for them and for us. Jesus had heaven's liberty to do whatever he wanted, and by all means, that's what he deserved, right? He'd proven his worth. He'd shown his worth. But he chose to use his liberty to love the undeserving, the unwanted, and the unworthy. That's why we are saved today. That's why we have any freedom that we have today. Because Jesus weighed his options. His liberty as God versus his love for us. And he laid his life down and lavished his love on us. And we know the rest of the story. The disciples took this message and this mission of love. And God's love through them won the world to Jesus because Jesus had died for the world. It'd be a shame if someone lived without knowing him and died without having him. That was their attitude. Can you imagine your life without Jesus? Take everything away from me and I'll be okay, but without Jesus, I am nothing and can do nothing. So we must love because by love, the world can know and we and will know. The closest the world will ever get to God is without knowing God is by being loved by us, by seeing and feeling and experiencing His love through us. That's what drove the New Testament church. That's what changed the ancient world. That's why the West was one. That's why there is a West. The concept of value from birth, the concept of value that is a standard in our country and in our world. That's why women are considered equal to men. That's why children are not considered burdens, but rather their blessings. That's why slaves were set free, because value was ascribed to all people. You know what we as a nation came together to do over the past few months is an awesome thing. Putting the will, the well-being of one another above ourselves. While for certain patience worth thin and wits have been tested, may we never forget why we did it. Because the blessing and the joy that comes along with it, it for, is a reward in and of itself, greater than anything that we gave up. Christians, we didn't think twice about doing it because that's what love required of us. The enemy wants us to question why we did it or why we would ever do it again. But come on, we have shown capable of better things. And we continue to have an opportunity to love the world and show the world was at the heart of our faith. Not power, not liberty, but love. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of our nation. And this season has been an invitation to accept this mentality and this attitude, not as a rare exception, but as a common necessity. In Acts 7, one of the first deacons of the church, Stephen, comes on the scene. He was tapped to wait tables uh, in the meal hall, but he quickly found out he was more than just a door holder and a box folder. He had power and could work many wonders, many like Jesus could do. But Stephen didn't allow his gifts to take him away from his calling. He didn't allow his ability to take away from his responsibility. And the story is so humbling because Stephen could have been famous and rich as a wonder-working prophet. But he remained committed to the non-profit calls of loving and serving. Perhaps this is why he was targeted by the enemy. Perhaps this is why he came under special fire and accounted by the same and was accosted by the religious leaders as was Peter. He ended up giving a passionate defense for his faith and the faith which led to him being condemned and taken to be stoned. Satan was most angry because Stephen embodied what the church was all about, not stuck in one place but on a mission. Listen to how Stephen closes his sermon and what happens in response. Over in Acts 7, verse number 48. The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Spirit as your fathers did. He goes on, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth at Him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And He said, Look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. They cried with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at Him with one accord. And they cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do not charge them with this sin. Even in his dying breath, he interceded for those that were attacking him, just like Jesus did. Jesus could have been who called 12 legions of angels to save him, yet the joy before him was worth enduring for. The joy before him was us saving us, Stephen's face glowed with that of an like that of an angel because truly he had his reward. Stephen used his last few words and last bit of strength to pray to love those who were harming him. One of those was named Saul of Tarsus who would never get over what he witnessed that day. You see Saul was a leader of the Jewish persecution. He did not want to lose his power as this new church began to get stronger. He watched Stephen serve and sacrifice for his life or this cause that gained him nothing. Stephen's dying words, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, calls Saul's attention. What could Stephen see that he was blind to? Of course, Saul would see Jesus not long after this. The scales would fall off his eyes and he would commit to the mission of spreading the love of God. He would spend the rest of his life on a mission with the weight of this meeting on his shoulders. He could have been stoned. He should have been stoned, not Stephen. He should have been crucified, not Jesus. That's what drove Paul's ministry. The ones that could have chosen liberty over love never did so that people like him could live. Years later, Paul would write about this very subject in a letter to the Corinthians addressing the matter of liberty versus love regarding some of the people who were offended who are offended over blending of pagan practices and the newfound christian ones and some took offense by took their offense to be silly I won't go into it, but in short, there was no harm in what they were doing. They had knowledge that permitted them to do this, but many just couldn't understand it and were actually stumbling because of it. Listen to how Paul addresses this issue so powerfully. And this has been perhaps the most evocative text in my heart over the past few months. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 8, Concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. He goes on to say, "...however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to the idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food is not commended to God, for neither if we eat are we better, or if we do not eat are we the worse. But we wear lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak." He goes on to say, "...if food makes my brother stumble." I will never eat meat again. Can you imagine having that kind of attitude, that kind of response that Paul had? Listen, maybe the world shouldn't be so sensitive or uninformed. Maybe we know, maybe we don't know why they are sensitive and uninformed. In some occasions, usually sensitivity stems from a wound of some kind. Un- lack of knowledge stems from a lack of opportunity or lack of revelation. The healing and the revelation the world needs is Jesus. And unless we lay our pride down, they may never know him. We all know what liberty allows, but we must ask, what does love require? If we don't know what liberty allows, we're always looking for what we have the right to do. But what a difference Christians could make if we were most concerned about what love required, even if it meant laying our liberty down? That is the basis for Christianity. In this divisive and hostile time, it would do us all well to consider this. I know for me, at least, it's been a very humbling season and has taught me that love should always come before liberty. We know what liberty allows, but we must ask, what does love require? All things may be lawful, but are all things good and are all things helpful? We may have the grace to do it, but in doing it, does it communicate grace to somebody else? It's like that famous doctor once said, we get so caught up, and if we can, we sometimes don't ask if we should. Is this a sin, I often ask. Well, I have the liberty to do it, but what does love say about it? I asked a question the other day when considering the proverb of Jesus, to whom much is given, much is required. What much have you been given that requires you to do much more with it? Memorial Day reminds us that we have been given much liberty, and that liberty requires us to love. Love requires that we live with a sacrificial heart. Liberty can be selfish, but love always by nature is selfless. Our American liberty, even more our Christian liberty, says we must love one another. We must love like Jesus and preach the message of Jesus with our words and our lives. I'd rather err on the side of loving. Because being loved has proven to change hearts. I know that personally. And by loving, I know personally that there's no greater reward. Take it from Stephen. When we use our liberty to love, we get a rare glimpse into heaven. And we see Jesus giving us a standing ovation. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to proclaim your word Father, forgive me for the weakness of my flesh, the inability to so clearly communicate what is so important today, that your love for us is greater than we can ever imagine. And Lord, on this holiday where we celebrate our freedom, we honor the sacrifice made by those uh, who loved this country enough to die for it. May we as Christians understand that yes, we have been given freedom, but that freedom calls us to love. Father, I pray you would use this message to inspire all of us to humbly love and serve one another. Because just like the ancients changed their world, we can still change ours. Lord, for it's your honor and your glory that we live for and that we love through all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. You know, it's always the highest honor to be able to stand and preach Um, any Sunday, but on Sundays like this where we honor those that died for our country. As a Christian who has been given far more than I'll ever be given as an American, but when you combine those two realities, I'm so humbled, and I'm so grateful to be able to stand up here before y'all. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. I pray that God's Word would inspire us all to be grateful for our liberty and to love like Jesus has loved us because that's what can change the world.